Today on A Daily Walk from Pastor John Randall. Psalm 9 verse 10 says this, Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do you know who you're praying to this morning? You come on the basis of relationship and you realize he has all power, all authority. Nothing is too hard for him. Pray with confidence. Pray big prayers. You serve a big God. Nothing is too hard for him. You know, the ways in which we communicate has certainly changed over the years. Remember using those rotary phones? Now, today, we've got cell phones where we can call or text someone wherever we are or email them. Today on A Daily Walk, we'll examine the best way to communicate with God the Father through our representative, Jesus Christ. And it hasn't changed a bit over the years. Pastor John Randall is currently teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount, and he's encouraging us from the 66-word prayer in chapter 6 that can be used as a model for our prayer lives. Here's Pastor John. Chapter 6 this morning. I want to draw your attention to verse 9 as we continue through this powerful sermon preached by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9 this morning. And here our Lord declares, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount was preached by Jesus for the benefit of his disciples. And found within the sermon is a stark contrast between the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the true righteousness that God required. The religious leaders modeled a righteousness that looked very respectable on the outside. But on the inside, it was a much different picture. And Jesus saw through the facade and therefore he preached with clarity and authority, teaching his disciples what the true intention of God's law was from the very beginning. And one of the areas that he addressed was in the practice and privilege of prayer. Prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. It is the way whereby we communicate with God, have fellowship with him, and worship him. It is also the means whereby we present our needs and the needs of others. Sadly, instead of being heard by God in prayer, the religious leaders had made prayer into a theatrical performance for people to hear. They prayed also with vain repetition instead of heartfelt devotion. Now, Jesus wasn't implying that you couldn't pray in public, but only that if you did, it was with the proper motive. But he did encourage his disciples in private prayer to go into the secret place and seek the Lord and that he would reward them openly. He told them not to pray with vain repetition as if they were reciting some ineffective cadence or mantra, but instead to pray with understanding. And their father 
would reward them openly and he knew the things that they have need of even before they asked. First John chapter five, verse 14 says this. Now this is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. The gospels record throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus that he prayed often. We observe him waking up before daybreak and seeking the will of the Father. The disciples of Jesus could see the impact of Jesus' prayer life in his everyday life. And so they said to him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? I've often thought if Jesus found it necessary to rise early and pray, how much more important is it for me to rise early and to pray as well? In verses 9 through 13, Jesus provided for his disciples a model for prayer. We often refer to this prayer as the Lord's Prayer, which is true in one sense because it comes from the Lord. But to be more accurate, this is the disciples' prayer. For one thing, Jesus would not pray for his sins to be forgiven as we are instructed here in verse 12 because he was without sin. And again, it isn't wrong to memorize and to repeat the words of this prayer. But the intention was not simply to pray this prayer repeatedly over and over again because Jesus said in verse 7, don't pray with vain repetition. But rather, this serves as a template, a model for prayer. The language used in the text suggests that the prayer isn't some standardized liturgical form, but rather... When Jesus said, in this manner pray, another translation is, this is how you should pray, not this is what you should pray. The emphasis is on the pattern or the model. The prayer consists of 10 parts or sentences. There is one declaration of the one to whom we pray. There are seven requests that are mentioned within this prayer. And there are three prayers respecting God's name, his kingdom, and his will. And then there are four prayers concerning our daily needs, our sins, our weaknesses, and our temptations. And there is one profession of our feeling toward others. And then there is one concluding acknowledgement of praise. To put it another way, the first part of the prayer contains three petitions concerning God. And the second part of the prayer contains four petitions concerning ourselves. We begin in verse 19 as the prayer opens, or verse 9 rather, as the prayer opens with our praying to God, God's person. Who are we addressing when we pray? It says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Folks, prayer begins with relationship. You cannot pray to one you do not personally know. You come to the Father in prayer, but you must be born again into this family of faith. Once you have been born again or you become a Christian, you now have this privilege of prayer based upon personal relationship with God. That relationship is made possible through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross because our sin separated us from God. Yet Jesus bridged the gap. He made the way for man to be reconciled to God. That is why in Hebrews chapter four, in verse 16, it says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do I approach his throne? I come on the basis of relationship. Now to the religious leaders, And the Jews of the first century, praying to God and addressing him as your father was unthinkable. 
It wasn't even an option. It was far too intimate to even say something like that. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the word father in relationship to God is only mentioned 14 times. And never once do you find an Israelite addressing God as father in the Old Testament. In fact, the Jews wouldn't even say or write out the name of God. They felt like it was too holy. They would only put the consonants of his name because it was just so revered. But when Jesus came, everything changed. He referred to the father in prayer, gave his disciples the same privilege of addressing the father in prayer. You remember in John chapter 16, when it says, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he'll give you until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So when we pray, we begin with our Father. It doesn't say to the sovereign dictator, omnipotent being of the universe. It says our Father. It's a relationship. This morning you need to understand that God loves you. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. He loves to hear from you. He longs to spend time with you. His door is always open. Prayer is this privilege that is given to the child of God. You remember Paul in writing to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 15 says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been born again. We have a relationship and we can approach him. Oh, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we may be called the children of God. Prayer begins with relationship. But then it also, we find that as we approach the Lord, we do not do so flippantly or nonchalantly. There is a reverence. There is an awe. He is my Father, but He is God. He is God. Thus it says, hallowed be your name. The Jews had a very, as I said, high respect for the name of God. Their, their lips were unworthy to utter his name. Their minds, they felt, were unworthy to think of the name of God. The word hallowed implies holiness, reverence given to the name of God. Throughout the Old Testament, you read many different names and titles for the name of God. Let me mention a few. The name Elohim, it is found in Genesis 17. It means creator, mighty God, strong. El Shaddai, God Almighty, there in Genesis chapter 49. The name Adonai, or Lord, found in Genesis 15. We also find Yahweh, or Jehovah. Strictly speaking, the only proper name for God, translated into the English Bibles, it, you might see it sometimes as Lord, all capitals, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, Yahweh. And as you go on through the scriptures, you find Jehovah Jireh, meaning the God who provides, Genesis 22. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Zidkanu, the Lord who sanctifies or makes me holy. Jehovah Shalom, our, our peace. Jehovah Elohim, the Lord, our God. Jehovah Zidkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Roi, the Lord, our shepherd. Jehovah Shama, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. El Elyon, the Most High. El Roy, God of seeing. 
El Olam, everlasting God. El Gibor, mighty God. You get the idea? God is revealing himself. And as you go through the names and the titles of God found throughout the Old Testament, there is a reverential awe of who he is. And this is how I approach prayer. I understand who it is I'm praying to. And in understanding who he is and what he's capable of, I realize I have confidence in prayer because I realize my God is capable of doing anything. Nothing is impossible for him. And so I come with this understanding of who he is. It makes all the difference in the world. And sometimes people approach prayer. Yeah, God, I'm just, you know, I know you're busy and stuff, but like, you probably couldn't handle it. Like, what are, what are you projecting your weakness onto God? God is able. Nothing is impossible for him. And so I come with an understanding of who God is. Psalm 9 verse 10 says this, those who know your name, will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Do you know who you're praying to this morning? You come on the basis of relationship and you realize he has all power, all authority. Nothing is too hard for him. Pray with confidence. Pray big prayers. You serve a big God. Nothing is too hard for him. You move from God's person to secondly in this prayer, God's plan. God's plan or God's purpose. Look at what it says in verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we observe two more petitions that relate to God. We begin with this reverential worship and awe of the holiness of his name. Now it should be our intention to align our will with whatever God's will is. The purpose of prayer ultimately is to see God's will accomplished. And so when I'm praying, your kingdom come, folks, there are only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. There is the kingdom of darkness that is all around us. And there is the kingdom of light. You remember in Luke's gospel, when Mary was informed that she would have a child and the angel told her, and to his kingdom, there will be no end. There is a kingdom that is coming, the kingdom of God. Often in his ministry and his preaching, Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom of heaven. It was the theme of so much of the things that he taught. The kingdom was life. He said, the kingdom of God is among you. When he was questioned by Pilate, are you a king? You remember what Jesus' reply was there in John chapter 18. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. There is a kingdom. When we we think about your kingdom come as believers, we understand there is coming a day when the kingdom of the Lord Jesus will be established. The Bible tells us in many different places that this is so, that he will come and he will rule with a rod of iron. His kingdom will be upon the earth. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Talks about his kingdom. That's not gonna end. In the Old Testament, Daniel was interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And it says in Daniel chapter two, verse 44, in those days, the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and put an end to all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. We're talking about the kingdom of God that is coming. That's something that we can anticipate as believers. And imagine that the kingdom of this world 
currently under the sway of the wicked one. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of so many. The devil is behind the kingdom of darkness. But one day, that kingdom will come to an end. It will end. The kingdom of darkness will end. The Bible tells us in Revelation eleven fifteen, the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, listen to this, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Don't you long for that day? <laughs> Man, you look around and you think, how much darker can it get? darker before the kingdom of God is established. Oh, what a day that's going to be when he sits upon the throne. I love what Alan Redpath said. This not only applies globally, but also to us personally, that he is the king of our hearts. In fact, Redpath said, before we can pray thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray my kingdom go. Have you prayed that yet? We're not only longing for his kingdom, but also for his perfect will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think, think about that phrase. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, first of all, an acknowledgement that God knows what is best for me. I surrender my will to his. It also expresses a longing to see his acknowledged will throughout the world. Think of what we're asking when we pray. Think about the will of God being done in heaven. Do you imagine that it's being done perfectly? That there's no trouble, any sin, any sorrow? No, it's perfect. And so we're saying, Lord, we can't wait for the day when what's going on up there perfectly will be done down here. I mean, what kind of world would it be if the perfect, you can't even imagine it. I can't even fathom the perfect will of God being done in heaven, being done on earth. Folks, listen, one day, this aspect of this prayer will be accomplished. It's gonna happen. I love what F.B. Meyer said. He said, if only the will of God were done on earth as it is done in heaven, there would be peace between the nations and love and happiness in all our homes. Love would cement the union of all men in a city of blessedness. The fact of the world's present condition is no argument against the beneficence and blessedness of the will of God. It is because men will not do the will of God that things are as they are. And that is the truth. But we pray, God, let your will be done in my life. Whatever that is, whatever you want me to do. Lord, like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm learning as I continue to walk with the Lord. His will is so much better for me than what I can come up with on my own. Have you submitted your will to the Lord? Are you still trying to do your will? Oh, allow his will to be done in your life. We move, continue in this model of prayer from God's person, God's plan. How about God's provision? In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now we read earlier that God knows the things we have need of even before we ask. But in dependence upon him as our provider, we present our needs to him. And he is faithful to provide. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Implying that God provides. In Psalm 37, the psalmist declared, I have been young and now I am old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor the descendants begging for bread. God answers. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 19. 
And he said, my God shall supply all your needs, not your greeds, your needs, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What do you need? What do, have you presented those needs to the Lord? Have you said, God, this, this is a need. This, I, I, Lord, I just want to present this to you. Ask him for daily provision. He is your provider. Depend upon him. He is faithful. God's person, his plan, his provision. How about the need for God's pardon? It says here, and in addition to our daily needs, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The word for debts is a word in scripture that speaks of our sin. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for all our sins. I am forgiven of my sins, past, present, and future. We collectively owed a debt we could not pay, and Jesus paid the debt he did not owe. He paid the price. Thus, when he said from the cross, it is finished, the words are literally paid in full. Tetelestai, the debt that we owed, it's been paid. That is what has been communicated. And although I have been forgiven, and you have been forgiven if you're a believer, we still fall short, don't we? Even on our best day, we blow it. Even, man, I'm doing really good today. I don't know if I've sinned uh, yet. Maybe. It's early. You know, I mean, you, even then, I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't need forgiveness of something. Lord, if I miss something, just forgive me. You know, if I, I was unaware of it, a thought, an attitude, a response, a whatever. There is this dependence on this consistent cleansing and washing and forgiveness. Oh, praise God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives if we confess. Not if we hide it. Not if we kind of keep it in the secret and we don't tell anybody about it and we just kind of, you know, cover it up. There's no blessing for the person that covers sin or lives in sin, you know, and, and doesn't confess it to God. You're a miserable person if that's how you're living, especially if you know you're supposed to be right with God. But if you confess it, there is forgiveness. How are we able to be forgiven? The word forgive refers to the act of putting something away. That's what God did at the cross when he put sin away by incarnating himself in humanity in the person of his son, Jesus. He stepped down from his judgment throne, assuming the guilt of man's sin and paying the penalty and satisfying his justice and then making it possible to offer mercy on the basis of the justice that had been satisfied. And when a sinner accepts the merits of that atoning sacrifice of Jesus, he puts himself within the provision that God made. Our sins were put away at the cross. And now we are welcomed into the benefit of what we believe. I believe that. And by faith, I have been forgiven because of the work of Christ. It is finished. Oh, the Bible says in Psalm 130, verse four, if you, Lord, should mark iniquity, Oh, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We've been exploring the great privilege we have in being able to talk with God, to pour out our concerns and requests, and to enjoy God for who He is. Well, Pastor John Randall is leading us through the Bible right now on a daily walk. And I'd imagine some of you would like to hear this message again. 
Maybe you joined us late. Go online to adailywalk.org and have a listen when it's most convenient. Or request a CD copy for a cost of just $5. You can reach us toll-free at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another way to listen to Pastor John's teachings is through our mobile app. It's free and even available on Apple TV. Do a search for Calvary South OC. And we have a podcast, too, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're super excited about this month's offer. It's a book from our friend in the ministry, Barry Stagner, titled The Time of the Signs. In it, Barry explores the events that will precede Christ's return. And he answers common questions like, why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? We're making it available to our A Daily Walk listeners for the cost of $12. Again, you can order online at adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And by the way, anything given above that amount will be put to good use and help people all over the world grow in their daily walk as they listen to these daily studies. In some cases, actually enter into a relationship with Christ. Again, you can donate online safely and securely at adailywalk.org. You know, we often say it around here at A Daily Walk because it's true. We want to hear from you. It lets us know where the ministry is having an impact. And also, we love praying for our listeners. Write to Pastor John by email today at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk.com at gmail.com. This has been A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, where you'll never have to walk alone. This program is made possible through your generosity and brought to you by Calvary South O.C.,